Hey everybody, welcome back to Simply Holy, a practical guide for making the holidays holy days. And we are about 19 days away from 2018 at this point, and, uh, which is a little bit shocking and really exciting all at the same time. Um, and we have been uh, talking about the nativity and um, all of the different characters that are associated with Jesus' birth. And we've been talking in the past couple of videos about Mary and just ama how amazing she is and that you know, she opens her hands, she said, I am the Lord's servant, and then um, writes this beautiful song, which was in the past couple of lessons. But I wanted to talk about another character right now, and that is the character of Zechariah. Now, we started talking about him because he's the father of John the Baptist when we did the lesson on repentance um, a few videos back. But I think I'm just intrigued by this character, and I'm not exactly sure why, but this, this person, I just think... I think I really relate to him. I'm looking at this guy who is studying studying his Bible, um, you know, studying the prophecies, really immersed in trying to serve God, and and at the pinnacle of it, that when God is trying to bless him, all in the midst of this huge blessing of Gabriel coming to him and speaking to him, he is witnessing a miracle already because, I mean, who really has had an angel come and talk to them personally? He's witnessing a miracle, and in the midst of this miracle, he is doubting. <laughs> he doubts God, and, um, of course, this doubt uh, is followed by consequences, um, all in the midst of while God is actually trying to bless him. And I just think, I, I was reading this story, I was thinking, it just sounds all too familiar to me. <laughs> I mean, I just really relate to this guy. And so I've been fascinated by him. And so I just, you know, sometimes I run across a character and I think it's just as God makes the characters of the Bible become real people. These are not characters. This is not fiction. Okay, this is not, oh, I love that character. This is not somebody that is made up. This is an actual person that lived, and sometimes I just, I'm overwhelmed or overcome by thinking about what it was like to be that person, and um, how much I, I can glean from their life and how much I relate to them. So I've just been kind of sitting, my quiet times kind of look like this, like, uh, I sit there and I read something, and then I think about it for a long time, I go back and dry my hair, and I'm still thinking about it. So I've been sort of marinating on this story and ruminating over this character. And so I just thought, well, I'm just going to write down these things. And as I'm writing them down, uh, God is kind of teaching me. Um, I get intrigued by something that he kind of teaches me um, at the same time. And I just wrote these things down about him. And I wanted to share them with you. But first, let's read the story so we can familiarize, we can re-familiarize ourselves with him. And uh, let's go back to, let's start um, somewhere around. So I'm, I'm in Luke 1, uh, in 1 verse 11, and Zechariah's just, he's just working in the temple, doing what he's supposed to be doing. And it says, Zechariah was in the sanctuary when the angel of the Lord appeared, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was overwhelmed with fear. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah, for God has heard your prayer and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or hard liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will persuade many Israelites to turn from the Lord your, their God. 
to turn to the Lord their God, not from. <laughs> Sorry. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah, the prophet of old. He will precede the coming of the Lord, preparing the people for his arrival. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will change disobedient minds to accept godly wisdom. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I know this will happen? I'm an old man now. My wife is well along in years. And then the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. And now, since you didn't believe what I said, you won't be able to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly come true at the proper time. Uh, meanwhile, everybody, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out, wondering why he had taken so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures that he must have seen a vision in the temple sanctuary. He stayed in the temple until his term of service was over, and then he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace for having no children. So now we're going to um, fast forward over to Luke 1.57. It says, Now it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, and it was a boy. The word spread quickly to her neighbors and relatives that the Lord had been very kind to her, and everyone rejoiced with her. When the baby was eight days old, all the relatives and friends came for um, the circumcision ceremony. They wanted to name him Zachariah after his father, but Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. What? They exclaimed, there's no one in all your family by that name. So they asked the baby's father, communicating to him by making gestures, and he motioned for a writing tablet. And so, to everyone's surprise, he wrote, his name is John, instantly Zechariah could speak again, and he began praising God. And um, I, I was thinking about many things with this. In fact, my my mind gets racing, and I just I feel like I can't even explain what I was thinking. But I, the first thing that I wrote down about Zechariah was that um, he learned the lesson. He learned the lesson because the first words that came out of his mouth after that were words of praise. And I, you know, I had this quote um, from Kathleen Norris. Those of you that are reading Watch for the Light. Now, I did, I'm not really familiar with Kathleen Norris, um, but I loved her chapter in this, in our book. You know, so the, the way, this book is kind of funny because, you know, you read some of it and it's like the most profound thing you've ever heard in your life. And then the next day you're like, eh, I don't know, I don't get it. <laughs> but uh, this particular person, I, I really related to her and then I so I sort of looked her up and this is so funny because I was writing I was reading one of the reviews for one of the books that she had written which really caught my attention um, just by the title but in this it says um, it's she's writing a book basically about how the mundane tasks of life um, sort of make us holy um, it's she says uh, in this uh, in, in the, I guess she's explaining what she's going to talk about in the book, but um, 
she talks about the author talks about how Christ is most abundantly present to her not during my hours of prayer but rather in the midst of my daily occupations God cares about the least of our daily tasks Jesus instructed us in the Lord's Prayer to pray for our daily bread so making bread is important Jesus knelt and washed the feet of his disciples Serving others is important. Serving through cleaning, doing laundry, preparing a meal. These are all signs of caring, signs of serving others, indications of our love for those we do them for. This could be the, said the same of going to a job, working at an office, doing everything that goes into that, having to get dressed, get yourself there, um, do the paperwork, do the mundane, all of that. These are the types of tasks that are never done and they shouldn't who wants to say, well, I cooked and served you this wonderful meal to show I care. Now you know, so I don't ever need to do it again. <laughs> or I've washed and ironed your clothes. That means I love you. Now you know, so I don't need to do this ever again for you because you know. You eat, but you're hungry again. You wash, but the clothes get dirty and need to be laundered again. These are the quotidian things, and doing them over and over again demonstrates our love and our care. Because of that, and here's where it is, ordinary tasks become holy tasks that transform us. Carrying out holy work makes us holy because we are serving others. Contrary to conventional thought, cooking and cleaning for others does not make us less intelligent or less important or less significant what God does to us and with us, through us, as we are carrying out seemingly unimportant tasks is the quotidian mystery. And so, of course, I love this woman. <laughs> so I have to read her books. I don't, I don't, I haven't read them, you know, I'm sure I won't agree with every single thing, but she seems like she's got something on straight. But in this book, this particular Advent book, she has a chapter. And in this, she is talking about this very life of Zechariah. And it says, um, she's just talking about the difference between Zechariah's response and Mary's response. And she says, um, after talking about he gets this consequence put upon him, she says, I read Zechariah's punishment as a grace in that he could not say anything to further compound his initial arrogance when confronted with mystery. When he does not speak again, well, I mean, when he does speak again, it is to praise God. He had nine months to think it over. And um, I think about that a lot with him. Like, okay, <laughs> he had all this time to think it over, you know, and it was probably a gift to him. His consequence was a gift because it kept him from saying anything else um, to display his arrogance. And I was thinking, man, this just reminds me of me. <laughs> I don't know, this just reminds me of me. Um, but we know that he learned the lesson because the next words that came out of his mouth were praise to God. And I can guarantee you that you can tell if you've learned the lesson, once you are done arguing and done cajoling and done trying to bargain with God in your situation, and you are simply praising him because he is so smart, he's so much smarter than you, and you were wrong. You know, that's when you just know, I learned the lesson. So that's the first thing I wrote down was he learned the lesson. The second thing I wrote down was that it was at least a nine-month consequence. At least <laughs> a nine-month consequence. Um, you know, I was just thinking about how God gives us consequences 
in the midst of our life. And he does this to teach us. You know, we need to accept consequences in our life and stop complaining and whining. <laughs> stop complaining and whining and start learning. If you will start learning, you will not have time to complain and whine about what is happening to you. Now, of course, I'm saying this, but I'm speaking to myself, but I'm speaking to all of, all of you as well who are, you know, in my, so, sort of my ilk, that you need to just stop um, ruminating and marinating on all that is hard about the situation and just start learning from the situation. You know, consequences don't have to be our teacher. They really don't. You know, God, if we would just heed warnings, all would be well, right? I mean, we all see this, that there are certain people in life who will just heed the warnings. They learn from other people's mistakes. They can look ahead of them and think, I am not going to do that because I see how that turned out for that person. But yet there are some of us who cannot learn that way. Now, but that's that we don't have to have consequences as our teacher. Remember, it could be that we just heed the warnings that God gives and we look at the consequences that other people have. But once consequences have been given, we need to just shut up and listen. <laughs> okay, we just need to shut up and listen. You know, sin always produces a consequence. Sin produces consequences, but those consequences can produce from us either righteousness or it can lead to a punishment. If we will go ahead and learn from the consequences, punishment does not have to come. This is a lesson that my children know very well. Actually, they, they've, they've even corrected me on it before. I said something about getting punishment the other day, and, and Jacob goes, yeah, but don't consequences come before the punishment? <laughs> and in our language, in our family, that's the way that it works. I don't know how it works in your family. But basically, when we do something wrong, there is going to be a consequence for that action. If we will accept the consequence and learn from it and not go into self-pity and not throw a fit, it will not lead to a punishment. You know, it reminds me of, you know, Hebrews 12. What does that say? It says that no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. But later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. A consequence can train us if we will just allow it to do so. Um, here, Zechariah had nine months to be trained by this consequence. I have talked many times before about um, when I had to get a, a, a little, um, what's that called? Almost a retainer put in my mouth and it lasted for a year. Um, because honestly, I had not been active in confessing my sins and I had not been an open person. And so I had, I had uh, clenched my jaw and actually a doctor said, this is a very, very, very common way that people deal with their sin. <laughs> he didn't say sin. He said stress. But when they how they deal with their sin is they clench any part of their body. And uh, I had been clenching my um, teeth for so long that I had thrown my jaw out of alignment. So they had to put this realignment thing in my mouth. And it was for a year. It had to be in my mouth while I ate every minute of the day. And it was for an entire year. And every time that, that thing bothered me, I had to think, I will never <laughs> uh, be 
unopen again, I guess is what I should say. I will always confess my sin. It was more like I will always confess my sin. I will always make sure that I am open about what I'm feeling and thinking. It taught me I was trained by the consequences. And you too can be trained by the consequences that are going on in your life. You have to, and then you have to actually know not all consequences are a punishment. It's just a natural consequence of the things that you are doing. In our children's lives, we try to train them by giving them natural consequences. You know, they play with something and, you know, a big thing in our family is we don't play with things that are not toys. Why? Okay, so some of you already know the answer to this because you're parents. You don't play with something that's not a toy because you're going to break it. That's just the way that it is. Um, we don't play with things that are not toys. They get broken. Okay, a natural consequence when my children have been playing with something that's not a toy and the thing breaks is that they will have to pay for the replacement of that item. That is called a natural consequence. That's not a punishment. Sometimes I think we accuse God of punishing us when he's like, I'm not even punishing you. I don't have to. You are incurring the consequences of the choices that you have made. You know, when you choose to overeat, you're going to have heartburn. When you choose to overeat, it's going to be hard to sleep at night because you're still di digesting that food. You know, I had my one of my children the other day um, ate and ate and ate just to the point of debauchery. And it was really hard. It was a really horrible night. The stomach hurt all night, couldn't sleep, you know. And thus, those consequences made it hard for other people to sleep. You know, it, the consequences go on. But that's just a natural consequence. I didn't punish her. You know, sometimes God, God's not inflicting a punishment on you. He's just allowing you to feel the consequences. You didn't do your t taxes in time. You didn't pay your taxes in time. And now you're going to incur a debt. Yeah, you're going to incur some consequences of that. You're going to have to pay more. It's just a natural consequence. Um, the stress that you feel over your finances, it's, it's not even a punishment. It's because you were choosing to live above your means or just below. And I think that that is one of the big... <laughs> If I have to just say, this might be a little bit of a rant, but I just have to say that that is one of the big, uh, I don't know if it's a myth. You don't need to live just below your means. You need to live well below your means. I'll just take it for me. Something I've learned is, man, unless you're living on about half of your income, all of those unexpected expenses, they are going to take you right over the top. So anyway, we can complain, we can feel like we're being punished for something. Why is God doing this to me? No, he's not punishing you. You're just living out the consequences. Now, if you don't accept those consequences with godly sorrow, it will turn into a punishment. And this is a very big lesson for us. We need to accept the things that are happening to us with godly sorrow. What does godly sorrow say in, in 2 Corinthians 7? Is that, is that where it is? I should even, oh, I don't have my regular Bible here, but we need to memorize these things. You know, what earnestness, what eagerness to clear ourselves, what readiness to see justice done, what indignation, what alarm. You know, all of these things, this is what shows that we have godly sorrow. When we actually look at what we did wrong, we go, whoa, and we are alarmed by it. And then we get indignant. Well, first of all, we're alarmed. We're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm way outside of the boundaries of God. I'm, I'm way outside. I, this is on me. I need to get myself back inside the boundaries. Um, we need to have indignation and we need to go, I am not doing this anymore. I am not 
this is wrong. I'm not doing it. And sometimes we want somebody else to force us to do what is right. We want somebody else to be enforcing our own repentance. Listen, you're the only one that can repent of your sins. <laughs> Did you know that? Nobody else is going to repent of your sins for you. You have to repent. You have to become indignant. One of the things that, um, you know, when you're trying to fight an idol in your life, um, of course, uh, food for me, um, having a relationship with, or having an idolatrous relationship with food for me is the most recent one. But I have repented of many idols. I have repented of bowing down to many idols. Um, but this food one always comes up just because it was the most recent layer that God was taking off of my body, so to speak. And um, I think the thing that finally um, put the death nail in it for me was that I started to view it as, you know, um, this relationship with my my food was almost like it was like having a boyfriend it's like having a relationship and um, I had to break up <laughs> with this boyfriend and now the reason I think that this communicated to me was because we know what this looks like when we're studying the Bible with someone or we're trying to help become a Christian or um, you know especially when you're dealing with teens you know and they have a secret boyfriend and it comes out and then they go oh no I broke up with him I broke up with him like, you didn't break up with him. You talk to him every day. That's that's not breaking up. <laughs> breaking up is not talking to him every day. Okay, breaking up is hey, we're not going to talk anymore um, until whatever undisclosed time happens. I don't know if if ever. When you break up with somebody, you don't talk to him anymore. You you know what it means. That communicates to you, right? You know what it means to break up. It's kind of like if I had an extra boyfriend on the side, and I was like, you know. Jay, I have Jay over here, my husband, and then I have this extra boyfriend on the side. I don't think he's going to be okay with me still talking to him every day. <laughs> I think it's going to be a no. You're never going to see him again as long as you live. Oh, he's at work. Oh, you're going to quit that job. If you, you know, if you have to quit that job, you're going to quit that job. Whatever you have to do to break up with that boyfriend is what you're going to do in order to have a marriage with me. And I had to realize, you know, I had, I just had to break up with food altogether. Isn't it? Think about it. No, if I'm hungry, I'm gonna think about food for that minute, for those five to fifteen minutes that it takes to eat that food. Come on. And then the rest of my time, that my mind is not gonna be on it. I had to break up with it. You know, we need to have indignation for ourselves, and we need to have godly sorrow for our sins, and we need to display those things. Something you can do with your kids, you know, my kids know when something kind of major has happened, if there has been a, a sin that has occurred, they know that I'm going to say, I want you to sit down and write out um, all the godly qualities of godly sorrow, indignation, alarm, um, eagerness to clear yourself, um, readiness to see justice done. I want all those things written down, and next to each one of those things, I want you to write out what it would look like in this situation. So you lied, you lied about the phone, you lied, okay. What would it look like to have all of these godly sorrow uh, qualities for that particular situation? And once you've written out all of that, then we'll talk about what we're gonna do next. Until I see that on that piece of paper, we're not gonna, we're not gonna move on to the consequences actually, because I need to see the godly sorrow. And um, I would suggest that that's not only a good exercise for our kids that you can employ, but I think it's a good exercise for each of us in our own lives as in our daily lives. If you want to be overcoming something, 
um, and you keep stumbling and you keep slipping back and you keep going back, perhaps you really don't have godly sorrow about it. Sit down and write out what it would look like to have godly sorrow in that particular situation. When I think about Zachariah, I go, something about what happened to him produced a godly sorrow in his life. Because when he was ready to re-engage, the first things that came out of his mouth, they were praise. And that's uh, the, the other thing that I wrote down. Actually, I have two more things. Um, number three was, I, I wrote down, as long as it took. Because something intrigued me about this is that when the angel came to him, Gabriel said, you are going to now you won't be able to speak until all these things come to pass. Now, in my particular version, it says um, you won't be able to speak until the child is born. And now I am this is my new American standard, I think. And then in my other one, in my NIV, it says until all of these things have come to pass. And I just started thinking about how in my mind, I had just assumed that is this until the baby is born? Because that kind of said that in my New American Standard. And I think in my mind, I just, I just assumed like, yeah, when the baby is born, that's when he'll be able to speak again. But he wasn't able to speak when the baby was born. Actually, he was not able to speak until the eighth day when the circumcision happened. And then he was only able to speak after he wrote down the words his name is John. And it, it really, it was kind of stumped me and started thinking about how I assume so many times what God's timing is going to be and when something is going to be over. <laughs> I have decided, God, that this is the end, that this punishment or this, this consequence should last this long. And then once that's over, then it should be all done. You know, I, I know that for me, when I started this way down journey, I had anticipated how long it was going to be and then it should be over God it should be over and you know he was like actually no because uh, you haven't you you don't you're not really on the other side yet you're not you're not in obedience complete obedience yet see when when he wrote down that that the name of John it was proof that he had completely repented that he was going to follow every instruction you know, I know a lot of times when people start into CR, they think it's going to take a certain amount of time. You know, like, oh, you know, this will take this long and then I'll be done. <laughs> and sometimes it goes on just a little bit longer than they thought it was going to go on. Because I think that we think that we know. We think that we know that, oh, oh, oh I repented. And we think that we have repented as much as we needed to. And God goes, I'm so glad that you repented of that. Now, I had just a little bit more in mind for you. And I was thinking about how important it is to um, allow God to determine the timing and that there is always proof of our repentance. And that's what John the Baptist said. He goes, you know, when the Pharisees came out, he goes, why are you coming out here? He goes, go produce fruit in keeping with repentance. I want to see some fruit. And here we see that that by this time, John, uh, uh, Zachariah was like, oh, no, I, Gabriel said his name was John. His name is John. He was ready to obey everything. He was ready to follow every instruction. And this is something that I do with my children. I've learned to do is, you know, they're when they're out of when they're out of instructional control, which that means when they're throwing a fit or they've got they're rolling their eyes or they've got their, you know, chin up. They still got that attitude. They are not in instructional control. When you have that attitude, 
when you're still in this like when you're sort of irritated about your consequences I can tell you that they're not gonna let up because you are out of instructional control you are out of God's instructional control and you're not done yet and it may need to go on just a little bit longer just eight days longer than you thought it was gonna go on because you are not in instructional control I tell my kids listen I need to see a calm face and I need to hear a calm voice and a calm body when you are ready to follow every instruction then I'll know that we're ready to move on to even accept the consequence and I the other day I was telling one of my kids I said okay I'm going to give you an instruction and when you are able to follow every instruction then I'll know we're ready to move on I want you to sit down and I want you to take three deep breaths and when you're able to follow that then I'll know we're able to go on and until they're able to do that we're not able to move on and I was thinking this is such an instruction from God <laughs> this is exactly what he has to do with me he's like listen I'm getting ready to give you an instruction Tracy I want you to sit down I want you to take three calming breaths of a big breaths and then I'll know that you're ready whenever I see you obeying that I'll know that you're ready for me to give you your instructions you know we're ready to move on so I think that this whole thing is unbelievably important it is don't underestimate how important it is that we need to actually produce fruit in keeping with repentance we need to actually prove our repentance by our deeds and that I feel like is what happened when Zachariah finally said no his name is John <laughs> Like, I got this wrong the first time, I'm not getting this wrong a second time. And I think that that, that is, and I, in closing, I would just say that this is the most inspiring thing to me about Zechariah. This is why I'm so inspired by him, is because he was still used by God. You know, God imposed this very long consequence on him, and he was wrong. He was clearly in the wrong when he, um, you know, sort of stood up and doubted <laughs> Gabriel, who was standing in front of him, he was clearly in the wrong. I have been clearly in the wrong so many times. It's just embarrassing. That's really just the bottom line. It just hurts your pride, and it's just embarrassing. I've had to publicly apologize. I've had to, uh, one of my favorite memories is me just totally leveling up with Sam Lamb. I know, Sam, you're watching this, in front of the entire, you know, Kids Point um, staff, and I was like, oh, no, great. I just did that in front of everybody. <laughs> and so later on, making this, you know, huge public apology to her. But I tell you, it teaches you a lesson. When something like that happens, it teaches you a lesson, and you never do it again. These times are golden. If you can get past your pride, if you can humble out and accept the consequences that God gives. But, you know, Zachariah did. He leveled up, but then God leveled him down. <laughs> And God had to impose this consequence on him, but he learned the lesson. And what happens after that is that he gets to speak a prophecy that two, over 2,000 years later we are reading about Jesus Christ. He is recorded in the Bible with his prophecy, and that's what, that's what um, is just after that. After this happens, he's able to say, in, in verse, four, uh, what is it, 67, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited his people and redeemed them. He has sent a mighty Savior from the royal land, line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He will 
he has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant with them, the covenant he gave to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so that we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness forever. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins because of God's tender mercy. The light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. You know, we're reading this 2000, late, 2000 years later because Zechariah was still used by God. Even in the midst of his doubting, even in the midst of his consequences, and because he learned the lessons, because he didn't give up, because he didn't give in to his self-pity, because he didn't give in to his embarrassment and shame and let pride win, he was able to be used by God. And he raised John the Baptist. You know, he raised him. I know that sometimes, so many times, we feel so inadequate as parents. And I know this is true. Uh, this gets us, both as fathers and mothers. We, we just feel inadequate to the task. We just feel like, who am I? I can't read. Look at me. I can't even, I can't even blank, whatever that is. I, I, I can't even come home from work and be giving. I get, you know, I'm just too tired or whatever, whatever it is. But if we will repent and if we will allow God to train us, if we will be trained by our consequences, He is going to use us to raise the, ne the next generation, even through our inadequacies. <laughs> who else is going to do it, disciple? If not us, then who? I know you feel inadequate. I know you feel insecure. I know you feel like I'm going to screw this kid up more than I'm going to help him. I know you feel that. But it's not true. That is the enemy. If you will repent, and, and learn and be trained by your consequences, God will use you to raise amazingly godly kids. Don't give up, disciple. Get up. Don't give up. Get up and repent today. Until next time.